Hello, doggalos and doggalettes. I hope you don't have a fear of the dock. That's an Iron Maiden pun. I hope you enjoyed it. And that's because the movie today that we are discussing will feature the newest documentary ever. Her name is Ginger. We are going to talk a lot about rock documentaries. No host holds firm to anything. We like to diversify, but we will be seeing things at a musical angle with uh, a lot of Ginger's episodes. The movie we are discussing today is Iron Maiden Flight 666 by directors Scott McFadden and I think that's how you say that, and Sam Dunn. This movie came out in 2009. It's about a tour that Iron Maiden took where the frontman lead singer flew the jet that flew them around and they flew to countries and towns that they've never been before and just rocked out with fans that seem to never age. What is Iron Maiden's secret? How much does this movie truly rock? Probably a cheap rental. I think there is a YouTube version, but it might be worth um a rental you know it's not a bad film but yes please welcome ginger and you can welcome us all real good by liking our facebook page we have a facebook page now angela sets it up she messes with it so you can say hello to her on it and like the page and if you like it a lot share the page and if you have not done so give us five stars and a review on itunes uh, thank you to all who have done that i think if everyone who seems to listen to the podcast within the first week at least gave a five five stars on itunes we'd be playing a whole different ball game right now you know what i'm saying and because that helps us network and get out there and it's it costs nothing and it's a big help Five stars in a review on iTunes. Also, we do have uh, social networks, Twitter and Instagram at Documenteers. And if you want to send me something directly, an email, documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. We'll take uh, recommendations, Herzog erotica, tremendous praise to me personally. We're into all of that. Let's not dally. Let's get into this movie. Let's go around the world with Iron Maiden, Flight 666 by directors Scott McFadden and Sam Dunn. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. So yeah, I I'm tr- I was trying to think back kind of the other day, like what got me into this kind of music. And I think fourth grade, I remember um, a friend of mine made a copy of Appetite for Destruction for me and I had to hide it from my mom because she didn't let me really listen to that kind of music. I, I was always like sneaking in TV and all this kind of stuff. And she was very against any kind of like rock music sort of stuff. You're not so, going to be in the jungle. <laughs> Go to your room. So listening to that, I was like, oh, wow, this is very, this is very different now. I mean, do I like, am I really a Guns N' Roses fan to this day? No, not really. But I mean, there are some things that I appreciate. But anyway, that kind of like got me into like 
looking for different types of music. And then from there, like FM Metallica and was like obsessed with Metallica. I still kind of am a little bit like early stuff. I just listened to Master of Puppets <laughs> in its entirety, maybe a few months ago for the first time. I think there's a lot of that scene that I kind of associated with negative aspects of where I grew up. Like, uh, yeah, the I dudes, the bullies, this was the bullies music, you know. And it's not really the band's fault that meatheads like their music. I mean, Nir- I love Nirvana, and Nirvana had meathead fans too. Yeah. A lot of their music was about how fucking idiots like their music and yeah. how frustrating it was. But it wasn't the band's fault. But I sat and I listened to Master of Puppets after the rest of the world's already heard it. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit this is a really good record yeah i was very and i've probably listened to it 20 times since yeah it's really good and then have you listened to ride the lightning yes. and injustice for all and stuff yeah yeah i um i like found recently i've been kind of like cycling through some of my favorite songs over those three actually black album too yeah um i i kind of like that's like my cutoff for metallica like after the black album which i think came out like 91 or something seems common everything after that i'm just not Half the Black album was like put into singles. Just casually, I'm the most aware of that one. And I think I could go the rest of my life without hearing Enter Sandman. Me too. I mean, I always skip over. Yeah. For sure. There's some really good good songs on that album. But yeah, that was kind of like the the beginning of the end for me. Like I just wasn't, I just couldn't get into them after that. And then, you know, after Metallica, I kind of dabbled in lots of different other music. What was weird for me is because I went to this small school and... I was the only one listening to this stuff. So it's not like I could like talk to people about this cool music that I was finding and stuff. I was just having to like, I don't even really know how I found half this stuff, but somehow, somehow I did. And then Iron Maiden, of course, at some point along the way. I think around the heyday of glam metal, I was, I was pretty young. The music I probably listened to the most was like the new Jack music on the radio. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of the first music that I just started listening to. And then I got more into the rock scene and grunge blew up and I was at the perfect age to get obsessed with all that stuff. The alternative stuff. Like I used to be obsessed with Weezer, those first two oh, records God, back yes, in the day. Me too. Yeah. Got into other bands like uh like Pavement and Sonic Youth and the replacements when I was in high school. And these aren't underground bands. They'd been in the game for quite some time. Yeah. But at this country high school I went to didn't really know a lot of kids that listened to that specific stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it was weird when I went to college, when I saw a, a mutual friend that we still have to this day walks into the, in college, into the cafeteria, wearing like a Wowie Zowie pavement shirt. And I was like, whoa, you listen to, <laughs> like, it, and I was in an environment where most of us listen to that. And it was very like, whoa, I can't believe it. But now pavement's dad rocks, so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, how times have changed. Yeah, it's, um, I remember getting into grunge type stuff. Like I got my first Alice in Chains, probably found them around the same time I found Nirvana, which Nevermind came out in what, like 92, 91, 92, maybe something like that. 90, Nevermind, yeah, 91. So I found them and Alice in Chains kind of the same time. And I would like, I remember like alternating back and forth between um, Dirt Alice in Chains album and Nevermind and then I got super into Alice in Chains and like listened to exclusively them for a while and then kind of like went on to Pearl Jam and Temple the Dog and never was like a super Soundgarden fan but sure I liked Bad Motorfinger Soundgarden that's a good metal grunge crossover group of yeah. a lot of old metal heads and a lot of the grunge heads both like that band that's true I mean Chris Cornell he had a great 
metal strong vocal situation i didn't care for super unknown that record though i never got it i never got into pearl jam what i would do is i would read any article where kurt cobain was being interviewed and if he cited a band that he liked i would be like oh i want to check that band out Hmm. and a lot of the bands that Nirvana is citing, they were like twee bands and shit like that. <laughs> they weren't necessarily bands that sounded exactly like Nirvana, like Teenage Fan Club. And that's like a power pop band from Scotland. Yeah. And they're one of my favorite bands to this day, but that's kind of how I absorbed the others. I remember getting very confused when this when Stone Temple Pilots got big mm-hmm. and that video plush i think it was yeah showed up and i was like why did eddie vetter shave his head and dye it it was very confusing there was like a similar sound for sure going on there for a while like that kind of gravelly sort of like yeah thing it got tired (laughs) it It got tired real quick and even looking back now i mean it seems like the 90s are kind of hot lately oh yeah being very touted by kids that were probably born in that decade Notice like eight bit stuff is really popular amongst young people now. Yeah. And over the years, I've kind of looked back and found music in the '90s I didn't even listen to at the time and really like now. But but I don't really look back with that much fondness. I don't know. I mean, it was just what it was. You know, I I, I was happy to move forward. A lot of the most popular music got really tired, and after 1996, popular music was really shitty. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, I mean, definitely kind of going into the to the 2000s music was just like I can't I can't really even as I'm sitting here I can't really identify a band that I really enjoyed their music. Like sometimes I almost feel like maybe am I stuck in 96 and before like that all that stuff. Like I mean, there's there's obviously stuff that I like that has come out since then but Mm -hmm. i feel like there really was kind of like a weird sort of desert land of just really boring stuff i think there's just a lot of redundant kind of shit going on i'm seeing that happen right now i think with a lot of popular music because i do listen to a lot of contemporary hip-hop and stuff i've always just been curious as to what's going on with that and there's a lot of shit that's getting really boring that was really exciting like four or five years ago so I can't, I have to say, and and this is not me being like a snob, it's just kind of me being unaware, but I I feel like I just don't have a whole lot of knowledge about really current music, like current pop music or even the current hip hop, really. I just don't, I just don't really have much exposure to that. Like willingly, I'm not really listening to it, but so there could be some stuff out there that I don't even know. It might be great. Seems like all the popular stuff is pop music, which it's always popular, it's pop music. (laughs) goes with the name everything is electronically filtered which i'm not against i'm into whatever sounds good it doesn't matter to me i'm not one of those kind of people right and you know trap music stuff like that and then you got your uh your like kelly clarkson's and your stuff like that and i don't mean to hate on those too i mean even singers like that will have some song one or two songs i may think are not bad but beyond that you go just under the surface of that you know and there's edm and stuff right. like that, and th- which is huge. But globally, this, that is the biggest music happening right now. And it has been building since, <laughs> since like House in the late 70s. Yeah, and I'm not very familiar with EDM at all. But from what I understand, there's even a lot of variety within that genre mm. that kind of like runs kind of like a metal, more like a metal sort of focus to just like really like 
bubble gummy poppy. After that, there's like a garage scene. I was actually really into the garage scene like eight years ago. Garage, if you had a band that sounded exactly like the Ramones today, mm -hmm. they wouldn't call you punk. They would call yeah. you a garage band. Yeah. And the garage band is anything from like, you could you could step up and be like, our favorite band is Iron Maiden, the band we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Up the irons. And you can and you do that, but you got like some uh, you know some some Ramonesy twist to it, maybe some weird rockabilly twist. It's like mm -hmm. garage is like every rock subgenre that is no longer super popular anymore, and it's all in this big bubble. Old R and B influences in it too. It just depends on what oh, band you're okay. seeing. Yeah, it's incredibly diverse but i think a lot of the garage stuff is it's almost like party music it's not like super deep but right. it rocks yeah and that's kind of traditionally a lot of what rock is you know so that's true so i was reading about how at some point iron maiden was was playing Ozfest, and they somehow got into some like feud with sharon osborne and ozzy have you read about this about i've i've heard Several stories about Sharon getting pissed at other bands. Yeah, like so. So they, they didn't were kiss Ozzy's dick or something. I don't know. Well, I think what I remember reading, Bruce would get on stage every night and like kind of like disparage the tour somehow. I don't really know why. Like he was just saying stuff that like that just, just made them mad. So I guess Sharon started encouraging the fans to throw stuff, throw eggs and whatever at Iron Maiden as they were playing. They cut their audio at some point, and it was like this big feud that happened wow at some point. I know, so much drama it seems unnecessary really know, doesn't it <laughs> but you know sometimes that's what's exciting to people people like the drama and the intrigue and well what fighting. i picked what i picked up on iron maiden is that they are very much professionals and what they expect oh yes when they go out on that stage so i can imagine that i mean it's 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 steve harris and bruce dickinson seems to have that work ethic as well mm -hmm. that like this is what we are this is what we do if you don't measure up to this then you're gone yeah and they had a very specific and if and if uh, it contradicted anything that sharon said oh gosh yeah. you can see that feud like blowing up pretty challenging because iron maiden they grind they were grinding out in the mid 70s and then they blew up right when the 80s was happening mm -hmm. but you know black sabbath they're a perennial band one of my favorite bands and They'd been in that game since the end of the 60s, so it's kind of hard to say. It almost sounds like Iron Maiden should predate all other metal. Because <laughs> well, people say that they're kind of like the original and the the, the kind of go-to sort of inspiration. They're pure. They're like yeah. orange juice frozen concentrate. <laughs> they're, it's the Iron Maiden, and you got to like mix water in with it. Because mm -hmm. if you drink straight Iron Maiden, you're probably going to sugar crash, you mm -hmm. know. Probably. You got to mix water in it. But yeah, we're talking about Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. Like I said, up the iron. The 2008 right? documentary, mm -hmm. we went through like 10 genres in our casual discussion there. Yes, we did. Yep. Ginger, welcome to the Documenteers. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to be talking about no, no topic is hard and fast with any host. We will bounce around. Good. We don't want to do this. We want to do a lot of our plan, but, you know, kind of keep things interesting. We switch things around, but we're going to be concentrating a lot on rock docs. I love it. Yes. I'm so excited because we haven't really just hit the rock docs real hard. We're over 25 episodes in at this point. I love music. I love talking about music. I love learning about music. I love analyzing music. Probably it's going to turn out that you know more facts and details like i know a little bit about, about a lot of sometimes my memory is not that great you may have to correct me on some things <laughs> well, and uh you know 
and callers can can call you at home to like correct us, right? Yeah, Anything this red. I've been waiting for this red phone to light up for five months. <laughs> callers, call now. <laughs> yeah, I just get real nerdy about it, so I might just drone on and edit swaths of myself yeah. out later. But but Iron Maiden, yeah, they're a band that I've always respected. I've I don't consider myself a big metal guy. A lot of that glam metal stuff I was not into during its heyday. Mm. A lot of stuff I've discovered looking back, I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I don't mind this. I don't mind that. And I, and I feel like I'm a curator sometimes of music. Like, often I'm not very timely, but then I'll just sit and analyze something like that came out 30 years ago and be like. Yeah, I think I'm kind of the And then I'm the guy at a party saying, have you heard of this record that everyone's <laughs> heard? It's really good. But uh, Iron Maiden is a band I've respected for years. I've had. I have their first four records, their first four company release records. No, no 77 demos or anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not that nerded out. But the first two records are Paul Diano records where he's singing. And then Number of the Beast is Bruce Dickinson. And a guy named Blaze Bailey shows up later. Yeah. I don't for know. For a brief period of time. And then Clive Burr, I think, was on the however many. The drummer, the original drummer was on. Oh, yeah. He had come back. I don't really know how many. I don't know like how many of those records he's on or not. I know Clive Burr was on Number of the Beast, and that was up until I guess he would come back. I don't know if he came back for the Blaze Bailey era, but that was the last record that Bruce and Clive were on at the same time was okay. Number of the Beast. Yeah, because Bruce left for a while and then he came back. Like it was a whole yeah that that lineup that was what was interesting to me. Like I don't think like obviously known Iron Maiden. I've been a fan, but kind of getting into the details of like the band members and everything. It's not something I super, super followed. I mean, it's obvious that like the lineup changed quite a bit over the years before it kind of settled on the current lineup, which I think has been in place since maybe like mid eighties, like a, like mid early eighties, I think something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, and they released albums under these various kind of, I mean, Steve Harris was like a constant. He's like the, original maiden he right? had a vision and it's kind of interesting steve harris is the bass player yeah stereotypically you would think the most disposable person in a metal band would be the bass player you, you think if a guy was wanting to be really exact about building a metal band that he would be either the singer or the guitarist right but not steve harris that's right he's like i want to play bass you need to do this you need to do this you need to do this and if anyone didn't meet up to what he the vision of what he wanted they were gone, gone you know? out of there yeah and steve harris is the architect of iron maiden yeah to this day i mean he's still like you see in this documentary that he leads the direction like i think at some point he even like, breaks off like in the middle of this very grueling tour that they're doing he kind of breaks off to do like recording and stuff and i guess what they're doing is putting together yeah. a live well, album they... of this or something but he is just like meticulous and very controlled over over how everything's going sound-wise. Yeah, they stop in L.A. and they go to the studio. I was like, yeah. dude, were you, <laughs> just on a, were you just on a plane for eight hours? They got to respect it. And oh, yeah. I, I, I can't compare and contrast all the metal bases because I haven't gone through them all, but just watching him play. In this movie that we're talking about today, I don't know if we've officially said the title. I don't think so. <laughs> we're watching the 2008 film Iron Maiden Flight 666. Directed by Sam Bunn and Scott McFadden. Who are two Canadian uh, gentlemen, I believe. Yeah, I caught real quick when they were talking. They don't talk much, thankfully, because I'm not, right. I don't, it's going to be my first real criticism of this movie. Mm, okay, okay. 
But Steve Harris, based on the live shows we see in this documentary, he might be the best there is out there. I mean, that's what they say. He is. If you watch him play and what he contributes to and the energy he brings to it, it's great. And he really is a super skilled metal bassist. He is. And, you know, I will say about about bass players and... um, They're trash. Well, no. I think... (laughs) (laughs) I have to disagree with that because I feel like there's a real sort of... I don't really think they're trash. I, I know. But a good bass player can really kind of ground the sound of a band like a rhythm section in a way they sort of work with the, the drummer and hold things down for the guitarist and for the for the singer to run with if that makes sense yeah i don't know but it may, you know I don't, and then again i don't really know a lot of other metal bassists i can't really think of any off the top of my head right now but um there's that guy from suicidal tendencies who plays with metallica now yes and that's true holds his bass about down to the ground mm-hmm. real comfortable yep Slayer's basis, I forget his name. That's another metal band that, even though I'm not a big metal guy, it's that I've taken in a lot of stuff from them. So. Yeah, Slayer. So there's a guy. Uh, there's a guy from Slayer that shows up at some point in the documentary. Los Angeles. Uh, in Los Angeles, he's the guy that holds up. There's a scene where they're backstage, and a guy holds up his like backstage pass. He's like, "Oh, this backstage pass is terrible. Yours is great," or something like that. And he's from Slayer, and I don't know. Maybe he's the bassist. Maybe he's not. But mm. anyway, the, there are a couple of celebrity cameos that are really fun. I think a wrestler shows up then. And Lars Ulrich shows up. And guess who else? Ronnie James Dio. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like there's a scene where I think uh, Nico is kind of walking backstage and like this little little guy with long curly hair. And it's Ronnie James Dio. I love him. Nice. We were just talking about him recently. Yeah, we've been talking about him. So it was relevant to... Rainbow in the Dark, probably. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie James Dio, rest in peace, of course. R.I.P. Rip, Ro- Rip Ronnie. Yep. Rip, Ron- Rip Ronnie. Exactly. I have a confession to make. In searching for this movie, I, 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 I selected and uh, I was a little confused because... And this happened... This took a long time probably well over an hour, maybe closer to 90 minutes, where I realized, I don't think I'm really watching this feature film. I think oh. I'm watching concert footage of the tour mm. from country to country. And then I realized, yes, I'm watching basically the shows that we see clips of in the movie. I'm watching the entire performances. Right. And I sat and watched this for a while. You're like, this doesn't feel like a documentary. Yeah. and I was the talking? I didn't mind because I like Iron Maiden I kind of like what I like what they bring to the table I remember just thinking like wow they're all really in great shape oh my god and Bruce Dickinson dude we have to remember these guys are at this point in their mid 50s and they are they look great killing it I mean, literally running all over the stage, jumping up and down, doing kicks up. There was this one point where uh, I think it's Yannick or Janik, one of the guitarists. Yannick Garris. He like does these like little hops in the air and they just like do spins and do like the guitar swirling around the neck thing. They're they're amazing. But yeah, so back to your back to you saying that you watched the full so then the after, concert. So I watched pretty much most of the shows. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, this isn't right. And then I found the documentary. I can see that was an easy mistake because when I was looking for it, it would say Flight 666 in, in the parentheses, full movie, or Flight 666, full concert. So I actually almost clicked on the concert too, but then I, but I read it, so I didn't. But, you know, I should read more. Yeah. I yeah. should learn how to read. Learn how to, yeah. Iron Maiden, the lineup, as far as this tour goes, it goes like this. Mm-hmm. 
you got your Steve Harris. He's the bass player, the yeah. founder, the mastermind, the architect. That's right. And you got Nico. You said Nico. Nico? I've heard people call him Nico and Nico. Well, there's a C and a K, so it seems like Nico would make sense. Yeah, but Nico- then Lars calls him Nico. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think, who knows? Nico McBrain. Mm-hmm. Who, he's the drummer. Yep. Then you got Dave Murray. Uh, I would say he's first guitar based on the, the how we see him shred. Adrian Smith, he's kind of more of the meticulous guitar player. Yeah. And who's kind of busting out some crazy crazy rhythms. Yeah, he's kind of got like a little bit of a Stevie Ray Vaughan vibe a little bit to him. Like we see him sort of like jamming backstage at some point. He makes doing some sort of like groovy. He makes the O face. Yeah, he does. When he jams. Yes. And Dave Murray's expressions. I love his expressions when he's playing the guitar. Because he has this face that's like, see if you can describe it like. Oh, it's like a surprise. Like he's like like he's shocked. Like he just picked up a guitar for the first time. (laughs) And you can't believe what he's doing. He's like, whoa, can you believe this? (laughs) Watch this, guys. (laughs) Yeah. And then Yanni Gares, who I I don't know when he came into the lineup. I think 82-ish, maybe. He's a good guitar player, but he's definitely kind of like the third. Because you need a lot of guitar in Iron Maiden. And Bruce Dickinson, who is the lead singer. The second lead singer of Iron Maiden, and there I think there'd been one or two more since no, just one more since his time, but but he's not just the singer. No. He's the pilot of the tour jet. Yes. For the whole band. Yep. Because the band, they have this jet. Mm -hmm. And Bruce, he's also a pilot for I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like a Scandinavian airline. Yeah, and I think that I read that it's like defunct now. Anyway, oh, that's yeah. too bad. Yeah. Because they partied because everyone wanted to, I think everyone <laughs> just wanted the Bruce Dickinson flight. Yeah. And there, everyone was just disappointed when yeah. it didn't happen any other way. They wanted Ed Force One is what they wanted. Everyone wants Ed Force One. Oh, God. If I was on a plane and then it'll, this is your pilot, Bruce Dickinson, I would freak <laughs> the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they came up with this idea of the tour. They're not only carrying the band and all the crew, but all like the gear and equipment yeah. is in this plane. I think I wrote down 70 crew, 12 tons of equipment. Wow. And then everybody else. That yeah. almost seems like too much. Seems like too much. Like I, and also, they at some point they said that it took a year to plan. Like this is a whole thing that they're like, this can't happen. It's too much. And they figured it out. It's a giant. It's a giant plane. Too. Yeah, spoiler alert, they didn't crash and die in a plane crash. So They did not. They did not. If if anyone thought that they were going to die in a plane crash, that doesn't happen in this film. That's not part of this documentary. No, it isn't. The tour is roughly based on an old tour they did called the World Slavery Tour. But mm-hmm. the difference between this tour is that now that they can have their own little jet and their own pilot slash front man, yeah. They can fly into countries that they've never flown into before. Mm-hmm. And they make it a point throughout this movie to say, this isn't some retro tour. Right. Because what you have to understand is they are playing cities they've played before, but they're playing, I think it's 21 cities and flying over 50,000 miles. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 23 shows, 21 cities, 45 days, I believe. A lot of these cities they're coming to that they've never played before, especially in Air- South America yeah. and places like that. Their audience is as young as it was when they first started getting into this game. Yeah, I mean, some sometimes a little bit younger too. Like these are some there's a pretty young kids in yeah. the audience here. It, it just it just for some reason Iron Maiden has resonated in this continent and in Central America and in Mexico. Air people have not stopped listening to them and have passed them down to their kids. 
So they go into these cities, and this is the first time that they've heard these classic metal songs. So to them, it's, it's not like a retro review. This isn't playing to a guy who's gone to 20 Maiden shows. Right. They are seeing these for the first time. For some, literally, it is like a religious experience oh, gosh, for yeah. some of these people. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible to see, and we'll get into it, but just the response of these fans, I mean, is just... It's just in, insane. And yeah. like like Bobby is saying, like it was, it, these are all like young kids, like younger than 20, like maybe like, like like teenagers really are showing up to these shows and like they're so, I mean, they're so into it. It's just, it's incredible to watch. This movie covers more than just South America, but you could easily have a documentary that is just specifically focusing on Iron Maiden's South American influence and the relationship <laughs> yeah. between that continent and that fan base mm -hmm. to Iron Maiden and analyzing that. We don't really get the question why. I mean, I guess the answer why is because Iron Maiden is one of the best metal bands of all time. So why wouldn't anyone right. just crowd them out and look at them? But, but the, but the way it resonates is hard to explain and yeah. no one, including the band may truly really know exactly why it goes that way for them. Yeah, we don't. I don't think they really get into that in this documentary. You're right. Like I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, how did it happen? And also, how did it happen to this degree, to this extreme level? I mean, it's just shocking, really. You can't. We can't really downplay it. when they go into places like Chile and uh, Colombia, mm -hmm. Costa Rica. They're getting mobbed at airports. Kids are camping out. If they're at some point, they were saying, I think this is in Colombia. Maybe people were camping out for 10 days just to get into this show. Yeah. And I mean, they're having to turn people away of these like 20, 20 or so thousand person venues, 50,000 people are showing up to get in. And it's just people are coming from all over the surrounding areas to come see these, these shows. I don't, I don't really know how many shows that they played in, in South America, but yeah, they didn't touch base on all of them, but, but we see concerts from Argentina, Costa Rica, two cities in Mexico, Colombia, Chile and Brazil. I liked your accent. That was good. Chile. Chile. Very good. Authentic. It's almost kind of scary for them. But yeah. in a lot of these countries, this show is the biggest thing that is happening as far as like drawing massive crowds in a long time. Yeah. And we see like, you know, issues with like security presence and like government interference, tense situations where these fans are kind of coming together. And, you know, the officials are really trying to stamp down some of that enthusiasm in a way because yeah. they're scared of it or whatever. And you have to remember that a lot of these countries, too, I mean, some of these places they were banned originally because, you know, a lot of people know that Iron Maiden is kind of considered, has been considered a satanic band. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Even though they're not really, but I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of these countries are, um, you know, they're concerned about the youths being exposed to this. Yeah, Chile. I think Padre Pissy Pants got on television and banned Iron Maiden. Back in the 80s, In an yeah. old tour that they were trying to go on. It's just very fascinating to me, the relationship between that band and these countries. But we're about to get started on this tour. And right. we meet one of my favorite people. I wish you could probably make a, a documentary surrounding their production manager, <laughs> Dick Bell. 
Oh, what a character. He's a man after my own heart. Mm -hmm. He takes very little seriously. I'm sure he's amazing at his job. But when the camera's on him, he's telling a joke and like a snide English comment. And he's telling people to get their hands out of their pockets. They look slovenly. Yeah. Talking to a bunch of metal dudes and like roadies, like telling them to straighten up. These guys are all fun. I don't know what people maybe have not seen the documentary or picturing when they picture Iron Maiden as people. but individually these guys and together they're so fun loving and lighthearted, and they all really seem to care about each other and have fun and everything and it's really fun to watch yeah you know i don't know if, if that's if it's kind of like different than what people might expect of these like metal rock guys yeah also in a band where it likes that exhibits a lot of specifics of what they want you figure there might be a little more tensions, and maybe over the years there has been, but I guess at this point they figured out how to balance it out. Some go play some fucking golf, and the other one pisses off on the streets for a while. Mm-hmm. Or they go play with a Wimbledon champ, some tennis that we see. We'll get into <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, I'm like, okay. <laughs> the plane is not painted black. I wonder if there's some reason why it can't be. Is the exterior, I mean, mean? Or, I, the, or the Yeah, interior? the exterior. Yeah, yeah. Well... Kind of thought about that, too. Maybe they just didn't feel like the other artwork that's on the plane would show up if it was black. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you describe, it, will you describe what's on the plane, Bobby? Well, on the fin, on the back fin is Eddie's face. Do we know who, who Eddie is? We have of to course, tell the people who the Eddie is. The iconic Eddie. Yes. Who's created, I'm forgetting the artist's name already. Yeah, I didn't write that down, unfortunately. Oh, my gosh. Call, um, call Bobby at home and tell him <laughs> if you hear this and you want to tell us. And I will say also, I love Eddie. I love the artwork. I love the album artwork. That's kind of one of the things that drew me in, I think, as a kid to Iron Maiden was the look. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, this is amazing. I think you can barely know anything about Iron Maiden but know who Eddie is. Yes. Yeah. And Eddie was created by Derek Riggs. I was actually looking up a lot of his artwork because he does a lot of digital stuff now. It's very much everything is that metal theme and metal style. There's some digital artworks listed that was shown. He does he does things for more than just Iron Maiden records. He'll also gladly draw you a cover for your Iron Maiden tribute band as well if you just fork over the money. But yeah, Eddie, he's like a... He looks like a zombie, like a cross between a skeleton and a zombie. He has long hair. Uh, He was insistent on having long hair by the band, apparently, because it looks more metal. Yeah. And during that time, Steve Harris really wanted to make sure that this was a metal band. Right, right. And yeah, Eddie, we all know Eddie. Is Eddie a hero or a villain? Maybe he's a little of both. Anti-hero. Yeah. Eddie's on the fin, and it says... Ed Force One, somewhere like near the nose. Mm -hmm. And and it does say Iron Maiden and then the tour on it, right? Yeah, I mean, the Iron Maiden, like the iconic logo of the band, the that's very specific Iron Maiden font. Yeah, it's written out on the side. And I feel like there's maybe something else, like some other sort of like graphic art thing on there, but I can't remember now. Giant plane, like, and and like the Iron Maiden, the words are like really big, so you can see it from afar and it is literally flight 666 like when they <laughs> land at airports there's an announcement that flight 666 has landed yes they have is, to say it over over the air i love it I which love is it. the coolest shit ever yeah at some point somebody even goes oh flight 666 number of the beast and everybody's like yeah they go to india first stop yep one thing i really like is that for every place that they stop that is featured in this movie that they have like a fan testimony and someone explaining what Iron Maiden means to them. It's If you put all those scenes together, it comprises a good amount of this movie. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a part of what made this movie kind of resonate. Yeah. And me too, yeah. he was talking about how this fan, he talks about how he was hooked on Iron Maiden. He just saw that artwork like a lot of people mm-hmm. did. That artwork fucking worked. It yeah. really did hook a lot of people in. And he talks about a concert in Bangalore that they performed, a 20,000 seat capacity venue, and 50,000 people were outside. Yeah. India is. Uh, the second most populated country on the planet. A lot of people there. We see Iron Maiden. We'd never see them officially perform it, but they practice Wrathchild. Yeah. When they're setting up for the concert in India. That's uh, off the second record, Killers. Probably the first record I listened to of Iron Maiden that I was like, oh, there's something actually really quality with this band. And it's a Paul Diano record. And he was their first singer. And then Number of the Beast came after. That's the first Bruce Dickinson record. And I really like that record a lot yeah. as well. And uh, half the songs on that still get a lot of play to this oh, yeah. day. Paul Diano kind of had a like a like almost a foot into the burgeoning punk scene at the time. Could you do a demonstration of Paul Diano's voice for me? <laughs> I can't really remember what it sounds like. Just want you... Why don't you do it for us, real quick? Well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play it. It's so it's like Paul, a, is that you? It's like a more it's like a more tired Bruce Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson <laughs> is more refined. He, needs he, a nap. he probably has more range, but uh, as I understood it, Paul Diano he could have a good show, but he had a really hard time maybe maintaining the workload that yeah. these classic metal dudes did. that song bobby and i just started moshing <laughs> we knocked over all the equipment um yeah so that that yeah um that's a probably a really i mean it's an album cut so it's been you know uh, heavily produced. Like produced. yeah 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 i mean that that sounds good it's definitely a different sound than than bruce for sure you know bruce has that real like testosterone sort of like vibrato whale yeah. sort of thing almost like a stereotypical metal whale that you would think of bruce embodies that yes he it, definitely does it, people even say like he's the ultimate when it comes to like metal vocalists he is it uh, if we see like a newscast at some point where someone's kind of commenting on all these kids and why how they're so interested in iron maiden and they're saying that maybe it's like a kind of a rebellion against the bollywood style music that they're sort of more exposed to and probably what they're mostly listening to that i mean obviously it's very different than bollywood music yeah real different boisterous in a different way yeah yeah dramatic but yet in a different way exactly and then they talk about the stage like they're on some they're they're saying like we weren't we weren't scared to get on this plane but we were scared to get on the stage that's basically lashed together bamboo. Yeah. And uh And Nico says that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but it goes fine. Yeah, they tested it. It was fine. Yeah. Spoiler alert, the stage didn't collapse and they didn't Dead all no. die. Yeah. But backstage there's like an elephant and there's all these like tents and stuff and they all get I don't know what the band gets the bendies, like you know the the little jewel, and uh, but the crew you can see the crew getting bendies, and also it's really interesting they're kind of cutting in this lifestyle footage of what I'm guessing is happening right around the stage area, like right on the other side. It looks like to me I could be wrong. Daily life of these like other people, like just these adults working, going about their daily business, and these kind of kids running around and stuff, doing everyday stuff, and on the other side of this fence is this 
big mega setup of this band and they're playing this like metal music and it's really interesting this kind of like juxtaposition of life going on in this country really intimidating yeah even as a viewer i was like oh a lot of (laughs) we don't really need to linger on australia too much but stephen harris and adrian smith are sick from their time in india and they're they're really they're basically practicing having to run off the stage to do a little diarrhea yeah at some point they say that there's they have buckets for both ends on stage and that they're just having to like perform through it i can't I can't even imagine. When I'm sick, I just curl up into a fetal position. I can't imagine doing all of this performative stuff that they're doing. But no matter how they feel, these guys are professionals. When it comes time to play, you would never be able to tell. Maybe Adrian makes the O face when he's (laughs) squatting diarrhea out. Maybe he does, yeah. yeah. So it's not too far off. Like, (laughs) It's just like his natural go-to expression. That's when we uh, see Adrian... Uh, getting some downtime, a little furlough where he's playing with Wimbledon champ Pat Cash. That's right. And Pat yeah. Cash is this cute thing. Like, they're like, well, how is how is Adrian? Is he a good tennis player? And Pat says, well, he's a better tennis player than I am a guitarist. We also see Nico, Nico playing Nico. golf with Dave Murray. Every time Dave Murray hits that ball, he makes that face. Like, <laughs> oh, oh. face, yeah. Can you believe it? I can do everything so good. <laughs> And they have these um like monogrammed Iron Maiden golf club bags with their names on it. Yeah, it's really cute. God, they so cute. Well, they should mail us uh, their golf bag. <gasps> we should we should ask for some. Like, this movie kind of made me want to put Iron Maiden decorations on everything. Yes, and do you want to tell everybody the the link that you sent me of the really really very cool thing that you found? I can't remember <laughs> the link, but I just looked up Iron Maiden Christmas sweaters. Yes. And oh, he, he so he found he finds the coolest Christmas like ugly Christmas sweater style sweater with a big picture of Eddie on front and it's got like little designs and stuff on it. It's amazing. It says Iron Maiden in big letters on the yeah. back. It's only eighty five dollars. Only eighty five. It'll so probably start... jump over a hundred closer to the holidays. So maybe so. Maybe we should jump on that now. Then yeah, you got to get your like... Christmas sweaters now. Yeah. Steve Harris's son and three daughters are touring with them. Yes, so are, which is adorable. I love it so much. Now, these guys are in that metal life, but they're not. Well, this isn't some tour where they're like people are passing out with needles in their arms and shit. <laughs> right. No, that's not happening. I mean, a lot, we can see anyway. A lot of these crews, they probably have lived that life. Yeah. I'm guessing in closer, uh, more closer to that life in the 80s when it was really peaking, you know. Yeah. They've probably been through this game plenty of times. So this tour really is a lot more of a family affair than one might think an Iron Maiden World Tour would be. Mm-hmm. It really is all about them being together and the music more than anything else. Yeah. And it's cool that they're sharing it with people that they love. I don't think everyone's brought their family, but Iron Maiden is Steve Harris's life mm-hmm. and his kids are his life. So he shares that with them and it's really heartwarming. It is heartwarming. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. I was, I was, um, reading about how he was almost a professional football player. He almost played for West Ham United. And interestingly enough, the Up the Irons kind of like tagline that they have um, is based on, I think, Up the Hammers, which is the West Ham slogan thing. Mm. So he's like really into football. 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 And he's got he's got his own football club called the Maidonians. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I think at some point at the end we see him playing Football. Um, I don't know if it's with the Maidonians. Maidonian. 
Maiden, whatever. Maidenonian. Yeah, maybe. Maidenonian. Go back to the. <laughs> Maidenonian. Um, those guys. He might be playing with them. It's just really. You know, I like Iron Maiden, but some concepts can go back to the drawing board here. <laughs> You're not into the Maidenonian. So, no. <laughs> well, what do you honestly feel about your favorite Iron Maiden song, "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter"? <laughs> I never said it was like my favorite. Okay, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> it's a fun bad song. It is. It's a fun bad song. So. Uh, Iron Maiden had a song in the Nightmare on Elm Street film Dream Child, which is my personal favorite, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. And so I guess originally it was a Bruce Dickinson song. He recorded it and everything, and then Steve Harris heard it and said, no, Iron Maiden has, this has to be an Iron Maiden <laughs> song. So eventually it became an Iron Maiden song, and it made it onto the soundtrack of Dream Child. And I think it's, I'm sure it's in the film somewhere. I've got to re rewatch it. To remember exactly where it is but but do you want to sing it do you want to sing bring your daughter to the slaughter bring your daughter to the slaughter that's yeah that's that's close that's <laughs> you got the general i'm not bruce dickinson. <laughs> you're no bruce dickinson. i like the part you're where charles dickinson i like no. that breakdown where bruce dickinson is like bring your daughter fetch your daughter <laughs> right. bring your daughter it's exactly what you think the song would be yeah yeah it's it's pretty much he wants you to bring your daughter to, to the slaughter. You know, my favorite bad song that I can't help but love <laughs> is uh, Kisses Lick It Up. You know that song? Yeah, I do. I it's do. a terrible fucking it's, song. Yeah, it's and a it's song. hardcore metal fans. This is like, Kiss is often the band that introduced them to this genre. It's like metal for children. It, sort it's of. barely metal. That's the thing. That's what, that's what <laughs> I just could, I could never, I could never really get fully into Kiss just because. I don't know. I just couldn't. But. They suck. That's why you okay. couldn't get I don't Kiss. Really, they I don't suck. want to say that. Kiss might be listening right now, and I don't I, want to insult him. I kind of like that song Strutter, though. Okay. But Lick It Up is my favorite <laughs> shit song. But it's about meeting a woman, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not wanting to know her name or anything. Of course. Why would you? And getting her to lick it up. Yeah. That's literally what it's about. <laughs> Good, wholesome. When you're obsessed with music, you absorb a lot of it like I do. Music nerdery. Yeah. You will know shit about stuff you think is garbage. But you know, yeah, I'm the same way. I just, I'm, you're so much better at like knowing album names and, and more the details than I am. I kind of like let it exist in my brain, but maybe some of the stuff I just don't. There's only room for so much of this shit. It's true. I can't remember all the band names. You know, I had to write down Iron Maidens. I couldn't remember all these. I can't remember the, the name Iron Maidens. Yeah, I thought they were Maidens and Irons. Maidens and Irons. That's probably a, yeah. a cover band. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there, can we just imagine real quick how many Iron Maiden cover bands there must be? There's actually one, there's one called the Iron Maidens, which is like an all-female. Yeah, they're one of the bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. I'd um, check them out. Me too. Maybe they'll roll into town. Let's Let's go, yeah. They go to Japan. <laughs> yeah. Adrian says that in the history of Iron Maiden, Japan is the one place in the world where they were actually mobbed by teenage girls. Yes. It didn't really happen in any other places because they were mobbed by, like, sweaty dudes. And we see this, uh, we see a couple of, of the young female fans. Uh, one says that she is Japanese maiden girl number one. Mm -hmm. And that was really fun. And then another one that says she wants to be Steve Harris's daughter. <laughs> and she... I yeah, and, and then she says, stay heavy, and uh, it's really... She's really keeping fun. it age-appropriate. She's like, look, I understand, <laughs> Mr. Harris, right. you're significantly older than I am. Mm -hmm. I don't 
I don't want this to be strange, but if you could adopt me. Yeah. If you could just be my, be my dad. Be my then, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Not like in a gross daddy way, but like an actual father daddy way. Right. They perform the trooper in Tokyo. And, yes. and as they come off the stage, Dick Bell's holding a sign that says, you young twat. <laughs> yeah. Is this the show where Bruce is running all over the stage with the flag? He So he runs across, like, I don't know, I don't, it's like a color guard kind of flag sort of thing. I don't know, like the kind that people like carry around on a big stick. These things are very heavy. Yeah. And he is running all over the stage, jumping up and down, twirling it around over his head like, like it's nothing. Because he is just that much of a beast. He's amazing. They pop into L.A., and that's when Steve pops in this studio, and I'm like, aren't you tired, dude? Yeah. These guys, they are, at this point in this movie, well over 10 years older than we are now, probably. Yeah, they're like mid-50s, yes. Yeah, so. I'm completely jealous of their energy. Absolutely. Especially Bruce Dickinson. The guy is always going. And he looks like he's just like this fit, like, oh yeah, it's... it's and I, I watched funny. some fairly recent concert footage of him. The guy's still, mm. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous, Bruce. Yeah, at some point, somebody else says, like, they, they wish that they could, like, bottle up whatever it is that keeps him going, you know, because not only is he performing like this on stage night after night, he's also jumping on a plane and flying it across the country, across the world, you know, mm -hmm. and then stopping and then performing again. So he's, he's, uh, he's incredible. When they fly out of L.A., it's a little bit somber because... They know this is where, like, the serious leg of the tour starts. Mm -hmm. They're heading south. And they know that shit is going to get, like, real thick, you know? Yeah. And in and, and watching it, I wasn't really sure what they were talking about. But then after, like, as time goes on, I'm like, oh, they're really having to prepare for, like, the madness that is about to be unleashed upon them. It's going to be India every night. A lot more enthusiasm and passion in countries where... Things are a little more dangerous. Some countries a little mm -hmm. more militarized than yeah. other countries. But they make their way to Monterey, uh, Mexico, which is uh, northeast Mexico. Okay. I, for, I can't remember the provinces. Very nice. Uh, they're greeted by a mariachi band, mm -hmm. as, you, as you are. Mm -hmm. There's a small dog fucking a medium-sized dog. That was always fun. That's there, yep. And the crowd, as, as they come on, they chant... We see that happen several times throughout their sort of tour in this area, like the, the that soccer chant. Bruce says that playing these level shows in these countries makes can make the band very nervous because they know these audiences are going to be at an eleven. Yeah, and it and the pressure is on them to make sure that they get a show to remember. Yeah, they have to deliver like just an outstanding performance no matter how they're feeling or how, how many times they've done it it's these people's first and maybe only time ever seeing them play live so they have to really bring it they're in a pyramid at some point after the concert they're hanging in mexico they're crawling through a pyramid mm -hmm. uh, nico does a candle ceremony i just want to say nico is very very warm personality yeah. he's yeah. very open he talks probably more than anyone to the camera but he's always goofing mm -hmm. always being affable Always uh, just making sure that even the camera crew is having a good time. Yeah. He's just an affable guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. They even say at some point he's kind of like their spokesperson because he just never seems to be afraid to just talk to anybody about anything anytime. But he's doing a candle ceremony 
in the pyramid. I guess it's part of the tourist fun there. He talks about how he cherishes the spirit and he hopes that increases the bond with his friends. That's what his that's what his prayer is all about. And then they go off to sing devil music. <laughs> right. Right. In, in Mexico. In Mexico. <laughs> in Mexico yes. City. And I'm not against the devil music. Will Satan spice on your music? Let it roll. Satan you know? spice. I used that on my eggs this morning. Oh, I love Satan spice. Mm-hmm. They sing Can I Play with Madness? Can I play with madness? Yeah. But you know about something interesting about Nico, 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 whatever. He is a born again Christian. Really? Yes, he is. Wow. As of before this before this was filmed, I believe. When you start getting into Maiden's music, it isn't really, it's not like lay your life down to the dark master, right. slit your throat open. Everything's like a concept about something that's happening. Yeah. And that could involve the devil or injustice or the, you know, a lot of metal is about people like fighting in wars and stuff and mm-hmm. like losing their lives. There's a lot of Maiden songs like that. If you kind of think of it more in a like just a concept record kind of way, you can we'll move away from any literal Satanism within Iron Maiden's music. And they insist that they are not like a pro-Satan band. In fact, like Number of the Beast was is was written after Steve Harris had like a nightmare of after watching like Damien. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that right? Omen, Damien. Yeah, o- one of the Omen movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so he had like a nightmare or something. So he basically wrote the song kind of based on that. And it's also based on some sort of a piece of literature too that I'm not remembering right now. But they say that it's not actually satanic. But if you listen to it and don't really read or listen to the lyrics, I mean, it's easy to kind of assume yeah. that they're singing about Go Satan. But they also understand that these visuals that they bring in <laughs> don't are, help their don't help their uh, their cause, saying but, that it's not. Yet. But it's just a part of that that metal life. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. South America, it's a very religious continent, you know, mm-hmm. and but they're drawing Heavily all Catholic, of, yes, yeah. So they're drawing all these crowds. You see kids after the show with tears in their eyes after the maiden show crossing themselves yes yeah which is very powerful i mean just seeing them just overcome with this emotion is like really was really something i mean you get into bands like uh i don't know early slayer venom there's a lot there's a lot more devil in that shit yeah yeah definitely and i i heard that the front man to for typo negative was almost literally an evil person from what i understand peter Steele, right yeah i yeah. think he didn't he pass away he did yeah i think it might have even been suicide yeah what i remember but i heard he was like a legit dark person and that's not even like pure metal. that's like that doom metal kind of thing yeah he was he i mean their typo negative is like heavily like pagan a lot of pagan imagery and i mean overt pagan imagery and, yeah um and yeah i mean i had the he was a complicated sort of dark fella sure, yeah for yeah. sure um but yeah i mean it's it's that you're right that's different than kind of what iron maidens what their music and their songs and their lyrics are based on it's 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 a different different situation for sure but you know we've been studying maiden since we watched this and and we understand that we are yeah we see eye to eye yeah we understand it's not literally that it's literally about the music and the fun it's like it's just they like horror movies and they like shit like that. And that's mm-hmm. what comes out of it. And they like metal. That's really all it is. It's not any literal Satan worship. Right. But the fans, they already know that. 
Yeah. Everyone else just needs to step up. Nice. You just step it up. That's for sure. And as they perform, can I play with madness in Mexico City? Yeah. Bruce does wear a sombrero. Yeah. With it. I think it's got like an Iron Man or an Eddie like little graphic on it. Oh, oh I didn't notice they, that. Well, they show it. They show like some of the, the fans like at a, like, a, like a vendor, like a merch table or something. They're selling these sombreros with the Iron Maiden thingy on it. And I have, oh how can God. I get one? Where can I get one? Seriously. You notice that Bruce doesn't toss anything into the crowd? No. He tosses he it to the side. Him. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, they must be very frugal. They're not going to break a guitar. No. They're not just throwing props into the audience. No. Like, okay, oh, got to keep this sombrero. Let's just keep it also right behind <laughs> me. Yeah. 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 It could also be like a, yeah, I could see them not wanting to injure someone by like throwing something into the audience and potentially hitting some kid in the face or something. I don't know. That could be part of it too. But, um, but yeah, I didn't notice that because he at some point he takes it off. I'm like, he's gonna throw it out in the audience. Yeah. Give it to a fan. Nope. Nope. Goes right behind him. Uh, they go to San Jose, Costa Rica. The streets are wild. Yes. And they fill out a twenty-seven thousand seat soccer stadium. And they're one of my favorite parts in this movie is uh, this Costa Rican dude. Doing his own rendition of Children of the Dam. Right. Another fan in Costa Rica, he describes, I think I'm getting this right, not verbatim is our official motto for documenteers. Okay, great. But he says that Costa Rica is the asshole of the world. The yeah. asshole of the world. The ass of the world, yeah, I think is what they say. And it's just a, and it's such a huge deal for a band like Iron Maiden to come to this country. Yeah, they just can't believe. Like, they would never, in their wildest dreams, think that they would ever make it there. yeah. Because it's the ass of the world. And this is what the band is talking about, being able to go to places that they've never been before. Mm -hmm. Because when the promotion was under the control of like record companies and stuff, they would be like, we're not sending you in a fucking Costa Rica. There's yeah. just no, there's no profit in it. There's no value in it. And they end up saying, I think that their their gig in Costa Rica is ends up being the biggest gig, the biggest concert ever in Central America. Yeah. Which, wow. Which is nuts. Yeah. And Costa Rica is in that, you got Mexico and then that uh, that land, the Central American landmass that leads into South America. I think Costa Rica is up in there. Don't ask me to know geography, by the way. I refuse. I'm starting to realize that I may be, I wouldn't say I'm amazing at geography, but maybe slightly above average. Like, I'm just kind of fascinated with the location of things. Good on you, because I, I just don't, and I won't. Well, I don't, and I won't. So, just Ooh. back off. No, shit. <laughs> Uh, he, in the Costa Rican concert, Bruce comes out with a mask on. I guess that has something to do with Costa Rican culture. It looks kind of like a sort of like a tribal war mask sort of situation. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Sure. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Mr. Geography, why don't you tell us? <laughs> I don't, like... Hey, the culture, <laughs> location and culture. The, okay. That's a lot of layers there. Yeah. Off to Colombia. Mm -hmm. They're heading to the venue. 
Uh, they sign posters for security guards. I like that. Which was adorable, yeah. yeah. And there's three miles of tents leading up to the venue because people are camping to get a good spot. The people at the end of the three miles, you're probably not going to get a great seat. I just want to... Probably not, but it's all about the experience. It's about the journey. Dave right? Murray points out that this is a huge adrenaline rush to see this kind of shit. Can you, I mean, can you imagine? Seriously. I mean, they know at this point they've been doing this for a long time, but to see this kind of response, just, I can't even imagine what that must be like. Bruce points out that there is a big military presence in Colombia. The security is very heavy mm-hmm. and there is a potential for things to go badly. Yeah. Colombia has a, I mean, a lot of the problems are very well known. There's a lot of governmental corruption there Mm -hmm. Uh, it is kind of a militarized society there are uh, groups that fight within the country that fight against the establishment there was actually i'm forgetting the name of the rebel group but there was actually an election a few years ago Mm -hmm. um where they were going to let this group have government representation in order to end the conflicts and they put it up to a referendum and the country was like no yeah which uh a lot of a lot of people in the cities apparently wanted to let them in to bring about peace into the country, but there were a lot of people out in the country that was like, fuck them. But because over the years, these groups straight up murdered people, but the rebel groups were also reacting to the murderous corruption of the government, and in the middle of all this is cocaine, so... Mm, yeah. Gosh, that's a lot to undress, yeah, and we are not equipped to really talk about go into right now no no but just bruce is pointing out that like shit gets real in colombia yeah we're seeing like we're seeing these these kids i say kids because really they're they really are mostly young people um waiting to get into these shows but we see mounted police officers i don't i don't know if they're police yeah uh, mounted officers sort of like jostling the crowd and there's a lot of knocking into each other and you can just i mean you can see the tension that's kind of happening and he's saying like at any moment it would just take a small thing just for things to just pop off and, and nothing does happen we don't see anyway a lot of confiscation going on yeah. some fans one of fans accuses the military of hating metal man yes, yes. Uh, that, that guy he was he was angry he's he, angry about it but metal is alive in Colombia. it's a fucking huge show and mm-hmm. they perform run to the hills and um people are after the show, lasers in on this fan who's just crying. He's holding a drumstick. I'm not sure if Nico threw it out in the audience or whatever, and he caught it or he brought it from home. But he's just sobbing after the show. And it's kind of interesting because you're feeling his emotions. But after every show, they play the song Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. <laughs> right. So you hear this song playing in the background mm-hmm. while this fan is just sobbing and crossing himself to the heavens. Yes, he's pointing up to God. Because Iron Maiden has touched his life. Yeah, and he's not the only one. I mean, there's the female next to him is also crying. And and I I mean, not that it matters, but these are these gorgeous people, too. These gorgeous young people, and they're so overcome with emotion. It was just really, it was just really something to see. And, like, you know, you see, like, that happening a lot where people are just, like, crying. Yeah during and after these shows. We might be coming upon one of my very favorite characters in this entire uh, documentary, Father Iron Maiden. Father Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's in Brazil, yes. Yes. Because we're heading to Brazil. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I have to jump the gun. I'm just very <laughs> excited to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Back in 85, there was something that went down called The Rock in Rio. It was 
televised in the whole continent. And that was the first time that Iron Maiden had been in that kind of environment. Yeah. That Rock in Rio is considered one of the biggest concerts in the history of the continent. And that was the first time that they were like, whoa, there's some shit going on down here that uh, that we can really get into. And that mm-hmm. was their first clue into the, the Iron Maiden fandom that overwhelms the culture down there. Yeah. And another fine example <laughs> of that is, now this is a thing um, in South America and Scandinavia as well, but Iron Maiden is, to some, a religion, the Maiden religion. <laughs> Uh, who's this priest's name? What's his name? Marcos Matolo. Marcos Matolo. I could probably say that with a little better of an accent. <laughs> I'm not, I'm try it. He's a priest. Uh, he he he's outside Sao Paulo, and he leads a maiden ministry. Mm-hmm. He has 162 tattoos. He named his son Steve Harris. Yes, he did. I love this part where he's talking about his tattoos, mm-hmm. and it doesn't show him like peeling his shirt off. Right. He's standing there talking about how his son's name Steve Harris, he's got all these tattoos, and then it cuts to just him suddenly not wearing a shirt. He's not wearing a shirt, he's got kind of arms out, he's sort of like standing there all proud, yeah. And what is what, what is his prominent <laughs> tattoo? His prominent tattoo is a tattoo of Eddie in chains or tied up, kind of like with his arms out across Marcos's chest. Yeah. And he says that every, if he moves, it looks like Eddie's trying to like escape his restraints. The restraints are... The dude's nip-nips. Yes, that's true. The the nip-nips are the restraints. But, I mean, he is just, you know, he is so into it. He's 35 years old. He says he's been doing these sermons um, for three to four years, I think, about uh, specifically the morality of maiden lyrics. And we see his, like, congregation. I mean, there's, what, maybe, like, 30, 40 people Mm -hmm. in there. He claims to be the number one fan he calls himself father iron maiden it's really <laughs> it's really in, incredible he and might, i love him he might be the number one fan you naming say. your kid steve harris mm-hmm. i mean you're you're a contender for sure yeah i mean he's rivaling the girl that wanted to be the daughter of steve harris yeah. at this point so I maybe mean, we should get them together they could uh talk about things maybe she can settle for being the daughter of his young son uh- <laughs> She could be the daughter of his young son, son that's named Steve Harris. Yeah. I mean, she is significantly older than his kid, I assume, but still. Stranger things have happened, sure. I mean, we could, that, and, that could happen. In the maiden religion, things are wide open. They let any mm-hmm, ideas in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all about flexibility. They play all, all up and down Brazil's coast. Yeah. And there's this part where <laughs> I thought it was just kind of silly and goofy where Bruce hides behind the mummy prop. <laughs> Oh, by the way, there's like a full right. mummy kind of like mm-hmm. ancient Egypt Eddie theme yeah. in these shows. And they and the decorations kind of go up and down, but it's like this ancient tomb of Iron Maiden theme mm-hmm. that's throughout this concert. Because it's based on the Somewhere in Time tour or something like Somewhere that. Somewhere back in time, yeah. Which is one of their albums from the late 80s, but it's kind of, I think... I think it's a, the wording is a little different, but it's kind of got that vibe to it. And I have to, I mean, I, you know, obviously Spinal Tap comes to mind with this sort of thing. And I can't help but think about the Stonehenge scene where like they have like the 18 inch Stonehenge. Have you seen Spinal Tap? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long right. time, but yes. Well, there's like a whole scene where they're doing like this, uh, sto- their, their song Stonehenge, and they have commissioned an artist <laughs> to make a life-size replica of the Stonehenge. They make a mistake and it ends up being like this 18-inch 
Stonehenge replica they put on the stage and they're it's it's a whole thing. But anyway, so <laughs> watching these kind of set designs, these like set I don't want to say gimmicks, they're kind of gimmicks. Sure. Kind of make me think of that spinal tap. But Bruce See? hides behind the mummy prop. Yeah, right. And then he wiggles his hands out like <laughs> And then he pokes his head out like, here I am behind the mummy. Surprise, yeah. And how can you see a guy do that and think he's a Satanist? <laughs> I know, exactly. I mean, Satanists don't play peekaboo behind mummy don't. props. They don't have that much fun. <laughs> That's right. They go to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And in Argentina, the fans are on 24-7. Mm, yeah. They point out, now, this is kind of the end of the leg, close to the end of the leg of their South American tour. I think they still got to go to Chile. But they're, but they're feeling the pressure like to the point and they're almost feel, starting to feel a little deflated you can tell yeah and they're like the fans can be a lot and the price of fame especially in this part of the world while it's super flattering really there's nothing you could do but sit in your hotel room because mm -hmm. if you go out into the streets you're fair game yeah people. it's like elvis 57 man you, you can't really do much without being mobbed and you're seeing like we're seeing footage of these fans just pressed up against the glass of like the hotel lobby trying to get in and yeah. it's intimidating i can't i can't imagine what that i would be would scared be. they have been traveling they do so much traveling that by the time they get to their destination they're just ready to relax and, and unwind and these fans are here to get like some recognition and they want things signed and whatnot and you have to either put your blinders on and just get through and not really acknowledge those fans or you have to kind of sacrifice some of your own sanity probably yeah. by like getting involved with all that but argentinians they sway and sing they're as enthusiastic as every other part of south america it's nice to know that they don't hold iron maiden accountable for the falkland war conflict that occurred that's good. They, you can blame Margaret Thatcher. Don't blame Iron Maiden. I and I do. I do blame. I blame her. They go to Chile. More airport chaos. And yeah, they discuss like we talked about earlier how they were banned in Chile mm -hmm. at one point by the dominant Catholic. But of course, Catholicism dominates most of this continent. But in Chile, they took that shit more seriously. Mm -hmm. And a fan laments those times. They said they didn't understand it was just a rock concert. Yeah. They were set to play, and the fans were ready. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. But now they're here. They're here now. They sing the song. They have a song called Iron Maiden. It's a good one. Yep. But they have a cyborg Eddie yes, prop. Yes, they do. And the dude's like <laughs> controlling it. Mm -hmm. Like a dang video game or a remote control car. It's so cool. They they wait till near the end of the movie to try it out the cyborg Eddie. Right. Can you, like, how much did something like that cost? How much practice did that take for that guy to get it right where he wasn't just knocking everybody over, falling off the stage. And where was he practicing this cyborg Eddie? Like, where was this happening? That's what I, I want to know. This is the answers that I want. The the band seemed very comfortable around yeah, the giant. Yeah, kind of like looking, like, giant. hey. It's like, hey, Eddie. Yeah, and Eddie's like kind of got this like robotic sort of like muscle, exposed muscle sort of thing going on. He's got like a gun, I think pointing out in the audience he's like moving his arms a lot and he's walking around the stage just effortlessly around the band members like he's just kind of walking and he's got a camera too so you can kind of see yeah. through cyborg eddie's eyes like, from time to like time like an infrared like a night vision yeah and i guess it's so that the controller can see but we don't maybe, i don't know i'm just to have extra interested. footage yeah i don't know yeah maybe so maybe so but it was really something. They hit up to Puerto Rico and then New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey. Talk right. about how different it must have felt. Culture you, shock, yeah. You spend weeks in South America 
in Latin America, and then you, and then like, let's go to let's go to New Jersey. Yeah. They sing uh, "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner." Yeah. Bruce is dressed like an ironborn priest from Game of Thrones. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. What is dead may never die. That's just what it reminded me. Mm-hmm. And their official Iron Maiden song should be "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner." Mm. That's just a demand. That's not really. <laughs> Put that out into the universe. Then they land in Toronto. They had they were able to kind of deflate a little bit because Toronto is the the end of their tour. And they realized when they landed in Toronto that they accomplished and this is huge. Huge. Absolutely, yeah. Sit everything in a rig on a personal private jet where they're playing shows that they've that many cities that they've never played before. With the jet being flown by the lead singer of the band. Bruce was talking about how elated he felt when he was getting off the plane and then he gets out into the Toronto air and then he's immediately like, fuck, it's cold. Yeah, it's freezing there, yes, of course. Adrian talks about how he's anxious to go home, but he did enjoy spending time with the documentary crew. Yeah. And Steve, he says that it's always been about the music and our fans know that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talked about earlier. It's it's about the music. It's not about the devil. That's right. It's not about the, get the devil out of here. It's about the metal fun. Yeah. Yannick says, if you like Iron Maiden, God bless you. If you don't, God bless you. Oh, what a sweet guy. I think it's Bruce that says this as, a, as we close the film out. He says, not verbatim, somewhere in the universe is something you can rely on. And Maiden can be that for some people. And if we did accomplish that, then maybe we did something great after all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a nice way to phrase it. Because sometimes, like, Paul Stanley has been guilty of this, where he's like, you see our fans, you know, they're just going into the doldrums of their everyday lives. <laughs> they're beat down. They're trying. They got nothing going on. They're not very smart. And they just go to kiss concerts, unwind from their idiotic <laughs> everyday lives. Right. But they phrased it very well. I thought so too. And that yeah. without trying to set themselves above their fans, it just seems to me that Iron Maiden really loves their fan base, and they consider them to to be equal to them in so mm-hmm. many ways. Yeah, and I think I think that they really experience something different than other bands, and they sort of like they you know they're getting interviewed by somebody in New Jersey. They're not just like a band that is has been playing for, you know, 30 whatever years and just revisit old material just to do it, just to play for their, like you were saying earlier, the fans that have seen them 20 times or whatever. Their fan base is always changing. They're young, they're young people newly discovering the band all the time. And we're seeing it like at these shows, like all these young people, like just discovering music, discovering who they are, whatever. And so they kind of are playing this unusual role here where you might see somebody like uh rolling stones or like or like um paul mccartney Mm. um i'm not saying anything against paul mccartney but i think it's kind of like a thing that's been commented on about how he may not be the most relevant artist to young people these days and there have been other things that have sort of like tied him back in to the young person culture um and i think that's probably the case with a lot of bands that have been around for a long time they're just not getting those new fans like somehow Iron Maiden is. Yeah. It's really cool to see. So they, I just think that they can offer a different perspective that way. Yeah, and they they did it without really changing that much. They've, yeah. It's this metal formula. It was like that in the beginning, and mm-hmm. it's always been like that. And it's been pointed out several times that Steve Harris doesn't give a fuck about what sells records. What comes first is what he wants to hear, and everything else is second to that. Yeah, and they said a few times, too, that they've, gotten the success 
through not much like radio play, not much like mainstream media attention. They're widely known as like one of the greatest, best metal bands ever, but somehow just never kind of made it to that high profile public eye. Yeah. Somehow. Arguably one of the biggest bands in the world in spite of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fascinating to me that that, that has, that has happened. And, you know, it just could be like some sort of like magic recipe that has come together because of their own extreme talent and their professionalism and their sort of dedication and Steve's maybe his passion and drive to really carefully create something really special that sort of sets, just really sets them apart from other bands and other acts. And they close out on a performance of Hallowed Be Thy Name. And at the end of the credits, Dick Bell says to the camera, why don't you lot just fuck off and go home? <laughs> I love Dick Bell. I do too. He's just a he's just an ornery, precious, precious person. This movie is about ten years old. I hope Dick Bell's still around. I I don't know. We, he needs to book a a show here in Nashville that's just called An Evening with Dick Bell. I would go to it. And he just tells like Iron Maiden stories <laughs> and tells everyone to go fuck themselves. Mm-hmm. I would go. I would go I would to go. that. I would be all all about that. Now, Ginger, <laughs> we don't rate. In a star rating. No. No, we don't. Here on Documenteers. Mm -hmm. Stars are like, it's like the Osmonds, right? Mm -hmm. But our rating system, the Herzog rating system, it's more like Iron Maiden in terms of thrash. Mm -hmm. Netflix got rid of their star rating system. Did they? I didn't know that. Which I commend them for. They do this weird like or don't like now. They don't do Herzogs on on Netflix? That's what I want to get to. I think... Netflix, we we do on Documenteers talk about a lot of movies that are Netflix original movies. I think they could pay us back by converting to a Herzog rating scale. Agreed. I don't think that's too much to ask. Nope, not at all. We rate in Herzogs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it one through five Herzogs. You're going to give it one through five Herzogs. Okay. And then we, we'll combine. Uh, I was trying to come up with an Iron Maiden metaphor, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh-huh. Into the best out of ten Herzogs. This movie, Iron Maiden Flight 666. Very, very, very enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. We watched this movie called, it's a movie we watched and we were going to do it for the podcast. And and it's the only movie we watched that we decided like, fuck it, let's not do it. But it's this movie called XTC, This Is Pop. It would have been the first rock doc if we did. And I watched it with Angela. And XTC is like this kind of art pop British band like that was around in that new wave era in England. In the opening, the front man, uh, Andy Partridge, he, he makes this statement. He goes, uh... I rock documentaries. I hate rock documentaries. <laughs> like, who do you sleep with? What drugs do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And then from that point on, we proceed to watch, and this is a band that I that some records actually like of theirs a lot, mm-hmm. proceed with a very mediocre, boring documentary mm-hmm. that was actually all done through an Andy Partridge filter and was not enough about the rest of the band. Okay, yeah. I'm not officially rating that movie, but it kind of blew. <laughs> and officially, um, officially. But he was talking about how certain things he didn't want to see in a rock documentary that seems stereotypical. And this movie didn't offer that, but his movie was boring. Hmm. Yeah. This is a better example of a rock documentary not having those stereotypical elements mm-hmm. and then rising above and being great. Yeah. I do got a bone, a small bone to pick. With this movie. Okay, let's hear it. It's uh, the director, Sam Bunn, and Scott McFadden. Fadian. They are Canadian, as we stated. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's talking or what, but at the very beginning, it's like they set up 
the whole mm. thing. Like, well, yeah, ears, ears aren't made, and it's what they're all about. A. And this is funny because we had another Canadian filmmaker in a movie we did called Nintendo Quest, where the filmmaker felt the need to also set that up. And and it opens on this guy like setting up his own fandom and him getting to tour with Iron Maiden. Oh God, is this whole movie going to be him like narrating Iron Maiden? Because I do not like this. I do not want this. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've got a the guy didn't like inject himself visually throughout the movie, which is good. But I was like, oh no, are we getting a um, was Super Size Me guy again? Oh yeah, that guy. I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't remember his name. <laughs> What the fuck is Super Size Me guy's name? Uh, uh, Morgan Spurlock. Yeah, that guy. I was like, oh no, are we going to get some Spurlocking throughout this movie? But then that went away. Yeah, completely. Totally. Mm-hmm. And then it was literally about Iron Maiden and how they resonate with fans throughout the world. And I'm pleased to say I had no complaints about the movie from then on. I always respected Iron Maiden as a music fan, but I think after watching this movie, I might just be a straight up fan now. Yeah. I think I'm very open to getting more Iron Maiden records, more than the first four that I have, analyzing them. And because I like what they're about. I like how they are, I like they're them as a unit. I just, I want more Iron Maiden in my life. Yeah. Now I got a decision to make in my rating here. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting, I'm like on the edge of my seat right now. That part I just talked about where the guy sets it up, I really didn't like that part. I, yeah. But everything else about the movie rises above that easily. I gotta be honest, like sometimes um, a a documentary can be perfect and sometimes a documentary can resonate beyond where something might not be technically perfect, but it resonates on a level that is really hard to do. And I think it was the movie Call Me Lucky is a good example of that Mm. movie. There was elements of it that weren't perfect, but the way that movie resonated with me and Angela set it to the next level. I feel like I've been rating things very high lately, but I can't help it. Iron Maiden Flight 666. That's a five Herzog movie. So well done. So well edited. The way the band is shook by their fan base Mm -hmm. and the way they react to it. You feel that because you're almost, you're reacting to that as well. You're almost seeing, you're seeing what they're seeing and you're feeling their intimidation. You're feeling their nerves and you're feeling their respect. And it did such a good job these these canadian filmmakers which i'm glad didn't talk through the whole fucking movie sam bunn and scott mcfadian he did a good job dude yeah good job guys you're five on my in my boat you're a five hertz song director Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ginger i gotta say and i you know i'll say ditto to all the things that you said and i I agree i think that the the i i did not feel the the panic and the dismay at hearing hearing them sort of set up the film in the beginning that wasn't something that really kind of caught my attention, um, especially since maybe because they didn't inject themselves into the entire rest of the film, really. But otherwise, you know, I just, I too thought it was really well done. There was a great balance of seeing some really awesome live footage where you're just absolutely blown away. I, I think I wrote like three times in my notes, like killing it in like all caps. So we see a lot of that. We see a lot of the fan response, we see the interactions with the crew and with even like the fun kind of celebrity guest, like music fans that they would interview. Tom um, Morello. Tom Morello, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I screamed out loud when I saw I love Tom Morello. Like, he always seems to show up. What am I doing right now? <laughs> am I doing the Tom Morello? Yeah, I think so. It's um, been a while. Yeah. Anyway, so so all the whole combination, you just really feel like you're on a journey. The way everything unfolds and you kind of see... Um, 
the tour as it happens and all the it's just it's just um yeah it's just really well balanced and and really super enjoyable and i even watched it twice in the span of like three days or something so i'm gonna say that i wholeheartedly give this film five oh shit Mm -hmm. iron maiden flight 666 perfect documentary Up the irons. Getting some fibers popping up here. Fibers. Popping up the fibers. Very exciting. Yeah. I think it's worth it. If you're an Iron Maiden fan, uh, you'll you'd probably give this twenty hertz mm-hmm. songs. But even if you're not, I feel like if you like if you like music at all, I think you can appreciate it. And I think even if you don't think you like Iron Maiden, if you heard it, maybe you'd be like, oh wow, they're actually they're really amazing. So yeah, I, I, would, I would recommend it. It's a solid introduction to Iron Maiden. Yeah. And for someone who was casually respecting them, it brought me to the next level. Yeah. I feel like I could watch this movie again soon. I And I probably will. And I will say, I want to add two important things. Um, well, one important thing. There are two video games based <laughs> on Iron Maiden. Bobby downloaded one. I tried to, but I have too many cat pictures. Um, there's a mobile game. There's also a desktop game, too, that's, I, I think it's still around. It was released, like, Quite a while ago, so maybe, I don't know. I don't know how this stuff goes, but there is a mobile game. Bobby has played it. Yeah, a little and bit. it looks really cool. There's like you. There's like some Eddie stuff that you play. There's you also pl- some music. Right, you play as Eddie. The music's great. You already know, you already know what the style yeah. of it is. Yeah. It's like a turn-based RPG almost. So. Yeah, so that's so that's fun. I mean, if so, if you're like us and you um, are now like diehard Iron Maiden fans after watching this film, play the video games. And like I said, I actually watched the concert movie, the actual <laughs> concert movie. That's good, too. Yeah. That's not really what we're rating, but if you watch Our Maiden Flight 666 and it resonates with you as much as it resonated with us, mm-hmm. you'd have no problem watching that concert movie. So Yeah. If you I need just, more, do it. If you agree with us, I'd go ahead and throw that in there, too, to, mm-hmm. for your viewing experience. And, you know, there's another, there's another documentary that they've made since then that we should maybe check out in the future. Too. Will do. Yeah. Will do. Everything Iron Maiden now. All Iron Maiden all the time. I'm going to put Iron Maiden tattoos on my dogs. <gasps> yeah. I love it. They'd like, they'd like that, I'm sure. All right, folks. Until next time, Number of the Beast. <laughs> <laughs>